Hello, everybody. Welcome to Cinepod MovieCast. I'm Chuck Conyers. And I'm Jose Jones Loretta. Welcome. It's been a while, sir. Yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah, we have lives. We're busy people. So, <laughs> you know, you know, we can't... Look, everybody, just relax, okay? I know, I know we've been away a while, but please... <laughs> Enough with the emails and the texts and everything. When are you gonna? I'm tired of waiting. Okay, we're we're here. Okay. How was that? Was that a good performance? Was that? Do you think they bought that? Do you think they bought that? You know, we were getting a lot of calls when we really weren't at all. No one cares. No one listens. Well, you to had this. me convinced. <laughs> hey, I was going. I was going along with it. Okay, sure. We got fans. Yeah, nice. <laughs> quote unquote listeners listeners audience viewers we're not viewing anything but um yeah. but this is um i'm very excited uh, you know we were talking uh mr zulueta and i were speaking earlier about how much i'm looking forward to or i've been looking forward to having this conversation because i really have been um i've, I've been struggling holding on to um, any kind of uh, expression of my <laughs> views about uh, one of the movies that we'll be discussing today. And um, tonight, I, this is, I'm, I'm going to, uh, it's going to be a purging of, of, wow. of uh, so much. Shall we say cleansing? <laughs> Let's go, yes, yes. <laughs> There's going to be so much feeling and stuff coming out of me uh so uh let's uh <laughs> and, I, and, and i'll be standing here aghast <laughs> i have a feeling you won't be today we are going to be talking about um so almost, we've almost got a uh, this was your idea actually because we had like this cluster of movies that we that we want to talk about but um you thought this grouping would work uh because of the yeah. 80s I... theme right yeah, absolutely. Uh, like these two movies that we're going to talk about today are both pretty much products of the 1980s. Uh, this first movie is called Liquid Sky, which has a cult following. Teach me. 
afraid. You're right. Because they're all dead. All my teachers. Liquid Sky. I know it's been playing in Greenwich Village for the longest time, but I think I was I was just too young to see it because it came out in 1982 and I was... 13 years old mm. so um yeah but i kept seeing it in the village voice so i was i was always curious about it and some uh some of my uh classmates in art in art classes have been saying a lot of things about it and so i was intrigued over the years but now i finally got to see it <laughs> and and I made yeah. you see it too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, okay. Well, yeah. Here, here's uh, like a brief overview. Yes. Um, go for it. So it just takes place in nineteen. Uh, it's like nineteen eighty-two. Uh, it's like the whole scene was like uh, techno music, and this little, uh, this little uh, paper plate shape. Uh, UFO lands on an apartment building, like near the Empire State Building, and I guess it's like, uh, from what I gather in this movie, and it's just so murky, and I couldn't really make it out if, if this was the plot or not, but it seems to be like this UFO is out of fuel, and the only way that it could like recharge itself is if it is if it harvested the energy from like a person's brain when it experiences orgasm. There you go. And then like it, it and then it gathers that energy, but it kills the person. There you go. Who's experiencing orgasm. Yes. And uh, <laughs> this is so nutty. <laughs> and, and this uh, and this woman. Uh, it's uh, like well, actually, there there are like two characters in this movie that are played by the same actress that's right who's who's actually uh, who's an interesting actress her name is ann carlisle and she's she's sort of like a cross between david bowie and amy mann there you go you know yeah. uh so, so she plays she plays uh, a woman and a man and they're both uh fashion models that's right the uh the male fashion model is kind of like really into himself and kind of a jerk mm -hmm. and the woman mo uh, and the female model is kind of like um she's kind of like a like a, a sex uh like a like a sex doll or something because everyone seems to be just using her for sex yeah until uh, and until one time when uh like back in her apartment like this guy was like raping her but the guy on top of her like gets attacked by the aliens because he had an orgasm and then they managed to uh like they managed to get that energy from him but it killed the guy yeah and then uh so uh so this character her name is uh margaret that's right so like yeah she she figures out that uh that that whoever experiences orgasms like gets killed so she kind of weaponizes this throughout the movie and then like the uh like the jerky male uh, fashion model kind of gets his just desserts and uh and that's pretty much all there is to it you know it's uh <laughs> i uh, i i thought it was an interesting 
time capsule in a way yeah. for uh, for the 1980s, early 1980s uh, nightlife. But it is, uh, but there's like lots and lots of flaws in it. Uh, most uh, most notably, like in in terms of the music. The music was absolutely horrible. I'm sorry. It was like you didn't think the singing was. Uh... <laughs> oh, oh my god! This is like they had this horrible. It's, it's like the um, what's in there? And Margaret's roommate was like was like a. Um, she was like an aspiring rap artist or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And she was like, she had like the worst lyrics, uh, because like like she had like a couple of songs, like uh, like in the nightclub scene, she was like talking about her vagina. My rhythm box is sweet. Ever forget the Yeah, it was kind, like, it's like, kind of like this avant-garde uh, slam poetry type shit. You know? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. It's really ridiculous. That. Uh, that's right. That's right. And and I thought the I thought the the acting was like just bad. Oh, it's horrible. Overall. Yeah. 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 Almost everything you've done since you've left me has been self-destructive. Adrian's a real bad influence on you. She doesn't care anything about you. She's only using you. You're ruining your uh, career, your future. What are you talking about? It's the only thing I care about, my career. What do you think I'm doing right now? I'm getting ready to shoot with the best photographer who I met at the club, who's going to come here. Who only wants to go to bed with you. Nobody... Nobody fucks at the club. Everybody's gay. It's you that thinks about fucking all the time. Your vocabulary is punctuated by two words, shit and fuck. What are you saying? I should say making love instead of fucking? Yeah, and it's like, how did how did this director like get these people? Although, although I think uh, Anne Carlisle was uh was it was an interesting uh she's an interesting actress yeah but uh but she wasn't well served by the script that's for sure it was like it's a little boring kind of it's kind of all over the place i mean it it it, it, it's it's hard to follow it's um it's really kind of you know it, like you, when you said it was a time capsule, that, that is the a perfect explanation. If you want to know what the avant-garde subculture in the early 1980s, if you want to know what that was like and what it felt like, this movie is a perfect example of what that is. Your photographs that Adrian was just showing me indicate a fairly traditional upbringing yet you seem to have veered off towards some obscure fantasy look frankly this bird of paradise routine is done every day in las vegas and better it's tacky Happy. 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 
You're tacky. What do you mean by wearing all this weird makeup and strange clothes? Clothes. 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 Nothing. You don't admit to dressing strange. 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 You're strange. Strange. What do you mean by that? I'm not wearing rags. You're wearing what they want from you, baby. Um, but just as just from a storytelling standpoint, it's a it's a fucking mess. <laughs> yeah. It's it's really just, you know, it's incoherent at times. Yes. Yeah. So I was I was surprised to hear that this was like uh one of the top independent movies of the year. I mean it just went on and on, like in uh in in certain movie theaters, but um no, I see. I don't think I could sit through something like this, quite but, frankly. But you did. Yeah, I did. I did. Well, I had to. So <laughs> of your right. own free will, of someone, <laughs> someone's not suggesting like you wouldn't go out and seek this out on your own for sure. Well, um, you know, it's just like it's just out of curiosity. Sure. You know, um, I wanted to know what the big deal was. Yeah. Um, but now I know. And I kind of regret it. But uh, I mean, I'm curious to know it's like how you managed to uh, discover this film and how how you liked it overall. Um, I discovered this film in high school. Uh, okay. A girl I knew told me that I had to see it. So I went over to her house. She showed me this movie. And uh, I it was the same. I mean, it was boring as hell. I just remember being bored to death by it. But it looked... Uh-huh. interesting um <clears throat> and there was something about it that just i, I continued watching it and uh it's uh-huh. it's i found it uh, i found it fascinating you know uh-huh. um uh-huh. not necessarily very interesting but almost like it just it's, it's almost like a like a thing to say that you sat through this movie you know, mm. uh, more than it being this work of art, or I mean, I don't remember lines of dialogue from it. Um, mm. The only the, a couple of things that I remember are the the makeup scene where uh, Margaret's putting on the dayglow makeup. So I was taught that I should come to New York, become an independent. And my prince would come, and he would be an agent. And he would get me a role, and I would make my living waiting on tables. And I would wait till 30, till 40, till 50. And I was taught that to be an actress, one should be fashionable. And to be fashionable is to be androgynous. And I am androgynous not less than David Bowie himself. And they call me beautiful. I have to say, for an indie movie, it is well shot. 
Mm. You know, it's it's well lit. The camera's steady. You know, it's 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 mm-hmm. not a bad looking movie. Mm-hmm. It's just fucking weird. And yeah. um, I remember going down on um, when Margaret went down on Jimmy, which is funny because she's going down on herself. <laughs> and um, and, yes. and his death scene. I remember the blue crystals right there blue crystals that come out of their heads or something like that uh yes yeah um yeah i you know those those things i just thought it was and you know just it was i as a science fiction fan it was something different it was a different kind of science fiction movie it was something yeah. that i i had never you know it was up until that point what was I watching? Like Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica, Space 1999, Star Trek, you know, right. Lost in Space. It, <laughs> you know, nonsense. Well, not nonsense, not nonsense, but you know what I mean. Like, it wasn't, yeah. it was just, they were just very typical, you know, you know, act, you know space movies, you know, family movies, mm-hmm. I guess, maybe in, in, in some, at some extent. But, right. Um, but this was different. And um, I appreciate it for that. Uh, it just, you know, yeah. it's a mess. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's actually a pretty good um, observation. There, it's different. You know, I think this is this is closer to uh, uh, the man who fell to Earth than it yeah. is to yeah, than it is like Star Wars or Star Trek. You or know, brother from another. It's planet. like um, brother from another planet. Uh, you haven't seen that one yet. Get out of uh, here, really? Yeah. John's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, what, Robert Townsend? Is no, it, or... uh, John Sales. John Sales. Oh, jo- oh I'm movie. sorry. John Sales, yeah. I'm thinking of something else. Starring cool. Joe Morton from um, Terminator. He played um, Miles Dyson. Yes, yeah, Dyson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. He showed up everywhere. Um, yeah. That's but true. I know him best as Miles, as Miles Dyson. That's right. Liquid Sky is is stylish. I'll give it that. Yes, it's definitely got all. It's like uh, it's like a weird a weird eccentric look of its own, you know. And he's at least consistent with um, the kind of actors that he has. You know, those uh, they all have that same kind of flat affect. Yeah, you know, and uh, <laughs> and it kind of fits in well, I guess, with the uh, with the story, but. Oh, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry. I can't recommend this to anyone. Just <laughs> if you if you see this in a video store, just keep walking, look for something else. <laughs> wow. So, what do you give it on a scale of one to ten? What do you give it? One to ten, huh? Okay, I would give this a um, yeah, three, three or four. Wow. Just can't get past that soundtrack. <laughs> I mean, that. Hey, you know something? It's like if if he had uh, actually purchased rights to actual songs from the nineteen eighties, yeah. you know, like uh, if he if he had like Depeche Mode or something in there, yeah, it, this movie would have been bearable. Really, <laughs> I would I would have been really willing to overlook like uh, like the acting and maybe even the uh, the sloppy storyline, but yeah. That music is just unforgivable. Wow. Fair enough. <laughs> How about you? Fair enough. I yeah, I give it a five. Five? Wow, yeah. you are generous. Uh, you know <laughs> Um, look, it's it's I think as 
a time capsule, I think it definitely has some value. Um, I, I think it's not, it's, it's boring, but intriguing at the same time. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, 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 um, it, it, it I, I think I've, I've seen it twice. Wow. I, I, <laughs> I and that was enough. That was enough. Um, but look, the first time was with a, a pretty girl, so you All know right. that was um, that was motivation enough for me to sit through it and pretend that I liked it more than I did. <laughs> <laughs> but but it was alright. It's um, but yeah. I mean, I think if you're a fan of science fiction, if you're a fan of cult film, if you're a fan of uh, a indie film. You know, you owe it to yourself to at least turn it on and take a look at it. Um, yeah. You know, whether or not it holds your attention. The the, the director a mm-hmm. couple of years ago was talking about making a sequel. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Yeah. And there okay. was like a bit of, you know, a bit of interest in it. People were like, oh, a sequel to Liquid Sky. But I, I don't know if a lot of those people who were excited about a Liquid Sky sequel had actually seen it in a while. Uh... Because, again, once you... it Look, again, it really is interesting to see something that is of its time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it really doesn't. If this movie went into the public domain, I don't think any. I don't think it would hurt anybody. That, mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I don't. You know, see it. I say see it. Yeah. And take it or leave it. Especially if you're in the fashion world, I think um, you could probably just. From a fashion filmmaker standpoint, you could probably pick something up from this movie, perhaps, if you're an artist in that respect. But otherwise, as a casual viewer, it's probably too much of a struggle to even bother with. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I was say I, I wonder if I'm missing something though. Uh, it's like why did why did the director slash writer cast the same actor to play the two characters hmm. i i don't know i don't know i don't know yeah um, i honestly i don't think i don't think you're missing anything i think you got from it what you got from it i don't i don't oh, okay. think there's anything else to it to be honest with you it's it's not i don't think that it's this rubik's cube that needs to be unlocked and like you know it's a it's an interesting story about um, drug use in the '80s. You know, it's um, if you want to look at it from a from a, a different standpoint, you can look at it as kind of like the scourge of heroin that spread through the city at that time and took a lot of lives. And because um, that's what Liquid Sky is, it's this heroin, it's this drug. Uh-huh. And uh, maybe the aliens weren't real, or maybe the alien was an allegory for the deaths that incurred from this um, plague, and that essentially led to you know intravenous drug use, all that stuff. That eventually led to um, part of what contributed to the AIDS epidemic. 
you know. Mm. Uh, so I, there's probably some depth to be plunged there, but I don't think because these people were just making this story at this time. I don't think they were thinking that much ahead. Um, mm. But I do think that they were probably addressing drug use in their community. Wow. Okay. You gonna watch it again? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I, I I like your attempt at analyzing this. I mean, and it actually is a really good analysis. Um, wow, thanks. Drug is a powerful thing, you know. Um, so are so are orgasms. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and they could fuel spaceships. So. I don't know. Alien technology. Alien technology. How you doing, everybody? This is Chuck Conyers, the one half of the Cinepod movie cast. Hey, listen, are you looking for something new to read? Afrofuturism has finally reached the mainstream, and there are a lot of great stories out there that look at the diaspora in a completely different way. I remember growing up, a lot of kids would talk about what they would do if they could go back in time, and one of the things was go back and kill Hitler to prevent the Holocaust. I used to think about, what if you could go back in time and prevent African slavery from happening? Well, that little thought experiment morphed into what is now available for purchase in Amazon, iTunes, anywhere you buy books, The Maximilian Emancipation. On August 8th, 2041, three African slave ships travel through the space-time continuum and end up off the coast of New York and New Jersey. A group of experts come in to see if they can figure out what the hell is going on. Is this a hoax? Is this an act of God? Or is this something else? The Maximilian Emancipation's a fun, satirical look at time travel. And it's getting good reviews, too. Here's one that says, For Conyers' first ever novel, I'm very impressed. The premise is fascinating and well told. See, that's a good one. Here's another one. With budding narrative world-building skills worthy of a strong hat tip from a Terry Pratchett or Harry Turtle dub. Look at that. Mr. Kiners is a tour de force taking us on a journey through the civilizations of Earth that could have been had the monumental human sin of the industry of slavery been diverted from taking hold. Ooh la la, very fancy. So if you're interested in picking this up, you can get the paperback at Amazon, as well as the Kindle version. You can also go to iTunes, Kobo, any place that you typically get your ebooks. You can also go to stopslaverywithtimetravel.com. And you can find links to all the books, all the versions of the book. There's a PDF version you can buy from the site directly from me. And also, this is the first in a series of three books. The second book, called World Time, will be out this summer. Um, but stop, you can stop by the website, you can go on Amazon, check it out. It's called The Maximilian Emancipation. And now, let's get back to it. And now, continuing on with our I Heart the 80s theme. <laughs> Was this VH1? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Ready Player One. I live here in Columbus, Ohio. In 2045, it's still ranked the fastest growing city on Earth, but it sure doesn't seem like it when you live in the stacks. 
They called our generation the missing millions. Missing not because we went anywhere. There's nowhere left to go. Nowhere except the Oasis. It's the only place that feels like I mean anything. A world where the limits of reality are your own imagination. <laughs> Ready Player One. So did you one. like it? Oh, <laughs> uh, let's talk about Ready Player One. Um, Ready Player One. This is the movie that uh, the long-awaited uh, Steven Spielberg adaptation. Long-awaited was just the last two and a half years or so that they announced um, that he would be making this movie. Mm -hmm. um, based on the novel by Ernest Cline. This was his first novel. Is his debut novel. Um, which I read, um, and I just want to say to people listening, if you have seen the movie, but even you, and you've not read the book, I, before we even go any further, I'm going to say, number one, read the book. I'm going to say that again, read the book, um, that I would pause Pick this up maybe a couple of weeks, a couple of days, or whatever from now. You can listen to the audiobook. Will Wheaton um, narrates the audiobook. Um, oh, wow. And, um, yeah, or read the book itself. I read the book. I didn't listen to the audiobook. I actually bought a paperback book, read the book. Um, read the book and then come back here and listen to the rest of this. Because I am, and Mr. Zulueta, you've not read the book. Is that correct? Yeah. And now. Went in totally cold. Okay, so do you want me to spoil the book? Um, yeah, I get the feeling I'm not going to read the book, okay. so spoil away. Okay, so this point moving forward, I am going to spoil the book. Um, I have to spoil the book to talk about this movie because I'm going to say this. If you read the book, you really understand how horrible this movie is wow uh, this is without a doubt 
the worst book to film adaptation I have ever seen. I I I can't imagine. I I don't get it. I do not get it. They had in front of them a fucking book. All they had to do was make the book. That was all they had to do. I don't know what is up Zach Penn's ass. I know what's up Spielberg's ass because I'm just about I don't know. I don't know if I think I might be done with Steven Spielberg. I think I might be done with him after wow. this. Wow. Okay. This is this is one of the worst movies he's ever made. It's it's I'm I was thinking about I was kind of weighing them between this hook and 1941. People don't like 1941, but I I like 1941. I think it's really cute. Mm-hmm. I don't know which is worse, Hook or this. Oh, and, wow! This this movie is awful. It's awful. I don't know how of all people Steven Spielberg managed to suck the soul and the life out of a <laughs> a really well told and entertaining story. I, I don't I don't fucking get it. Now, I'll say this. As someone who read the book, going into it, the movie starts up, you're seeing um Wade uh Watts, um who is um in the Oasis world. He's he's known as Percival. You see Wade Watts leaving the stacks and going to his little hideout where he has his hookup to the Oasis. All true to the book. True to the book. And that It looks exactly like it is described in the book. And this is what's leading to how pissed off I am about the fact that they did such a good job up to a certain point of conveying the book. I was born in 2027. After the corn syrup droughts, after the bandwidth riots, after people stopped trying to fix problems and just tried to outlive them. My parents, they didn't make it through those times, so I live here in Columbus, Ohio with my aunt Alice. In 2045, Columbus is the fastest growing city on earth. It's where Halliday and Morrow started gregarious games. These days, reality is a bummer. Everyone's looking for a way to escape. And that's why Halliday, that's why he was such a hero to us. He showed us that we could go somewhere without going anywhere at all. You don't need a destination when you're running on an omnidirectional treadmill with quadraphonic pressure-sensitive underlay. James Halliday saw the future, and then he built it. He gave us a place to go, a place called the Oasis. And getting a glimpse of, the, you know, showing us the world that we're, we're, we're about to um, inhabit for the next two hours or so. It did a really good job of setting things up. The, the logging into the Oasis, all that stuff, the story about, um, or how they kind of, they, they truncated the explanation about how Halloway and Ogden, Ogden Morrow, Augie, or I think Og or Augie, I think he goes by. The two of them, they created this 
game, this 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 world called the Oasis. Halloway is the. It was kind of basically mirroring the Steve Jobs Steve Wozniak relationship. Ogden Morrow is kind of like the Steve Jobs, and um, Halloway is the um, or Halliday. Halliday, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Halliday is the the Steve Wozniak. It kind of sets up a nice kind of gives you a nice explanation about a nice quick explanation for a beginning of a movie uh, about their relationship and how the two of them opened this up how you find out that Halliday died and he makes this announcement this this tape is released after his death hello I'm James Halliday if you're watching this I'm dead object in a game that gives special powers to whoever discovers it. First person to find the egg I've hidden somewhere inside the oasis will inherit my stock in precarious games currently valued in excess of half a million dollars, half a trillion dollars worth, and total control of the oasis itself. In the form of my avatar, Anorak the All-Knowing, I created three keys. Three hidden challenges test for worthy traits, revealing three hidden keys to three magic gates. And those with the skill to survive these traits will reach the end where the prize awaits. Off you go, keys. The keys aren't just laying around under a rock somewhere. I suppose you could say they're invisible, hidden in a dark room that's at the center of a maze that's located somewhere up here. Let the hunt for Halloween's Easter egg begin. This sets off this crazy fire. Everybody who is connected to the Oasis is looking for this Easter egg. Like, just fucking tearing the Oasis apart, looking for it. Nobody can find it. And I think about five, six, seven years down the line, the fever has kind of dipped down a little bit. And then you've kind of whittled down and isolated the people looking for the holiday Easter egg into two groups of people. You have... (laughs) what in the book are called Gunters. I don't know. I don't remember in the movie if they called them Gunters or not. Um, uh, I don't recall. Uh, Gunters, which is short for Easter egg hunters or egg hunters. Uh, ah. That is what Percival, H, and Artemis are. They are um, Oasis users who have devoted all of their time and energy into finding the holiday Easter egg. And then there are the Sixers, who are the IOI people, the um, the, the the guys that Nolan Sorrento uh, manages or oversees. Innovative Online Industries, I think, is the name of the company. They're, they want control of the Oasis for them. It's a rival company. So there's a corporate 
uh, entity out there trying to get to the Easter egg as well. Mm. And um, that pretty much is where the comparison ends between what happens mm -hmm. in the movie and what happens in the book. Now, there are certain events in the movie that do happen in the book that they do carry through to the between the two. Um, mm -hmm. But things like the the race, the car race in the beginning of the movie is not mm -hmm. in the book. There's no car race. Uh, with the Batmobile and the, I mean, I, that, uh -huh, was, really? that was all okay. this was. That was all. That was the. That was the the whole reason for them to make this movie so they could put Chucky and Freddy and um <laughs> and the Batmobile Batman in the same movie. Is that this was like a really piss poor Roger Rabbit, you know? Uh -huh. I, I mean it. Oh God, Jose! Uh, okay. <laughs> oh my God! Wow. What did you? I'm gonna stop right here um, because I want to know what you think of this movie. Okay. Because wow. I, I and then I will go into certain things that were in the book that I'm heartbroken did not make it into this movie. But oh, okay. We'll circle back to that. Yeah. That should be interesting. Um, I thought for sure you're. It sounded like you were going to love this movie, but I, but I am so relieved and ecstatic to hear that you hated this fucking movie. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> you know, this was... Um, God, that's awesome. This is a mess of a movie, mm. you know? It's, it's like, what the hell happened to Spielberg after AI? Yeah. And I mean, even AI was a real mess, but yeah. this is like... This is like out of control CGI, you know. Yeah. I think, ah, uh, oh, yeah. Where do where do I begin? It, it, it's it's sort of like someone throws a party for you that you know that has like all the things that they think that you might like, mm. and then you just don't feel comfortable being there. Wonderful. You know, it's like uh, you know, it's like oh, I don't think this party's for me. You know, I think Spielberg was trying way too hard to please the but, 80s people. But that's the and thing. He had the blueprint. He had the fucking book. There, uh -huh. There's no reason for the... I mean, nostalgia for him. Okay, let me... Let, 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 me, let me just point out one thing. That okay. there's a part in the movie where yeah. um, I don't remember why... But they end up going to the Outlook movie theater to oh. see the, the Shining experience. Yeah, right. Okay. Yes. There yeah. is a device that they use in the book where um, part of the whole experience of finding the the keys. There are, I think, in the book, there are four keys. In the okay. movie, there are threes because everything works in threes. But there are <laughs> four keys in the book, and uh, each one there's a set of tasks that are required to get to each key. Um, at one point, uh, the first key that he gets, he beats someone in the game of Joust. Remember Joust, the the arcade game? Yeah, sure. 
Yeah, he has to... There's someone he has to beat in order to get the key, the first key. That's how he ends up on the leaderboard, not winning, winning a fucking race. Um, so that's, okay. that's, well, that's the thing that gets people like, holy shit, holy shit. So there are other... There are connected tasks that he has to accomplish because they they discover one of the things about Halliday is that he was an 80s kid. So everything that he dug and he loved was from the 80s. Right. Let me say that again. Everything that he knew and loved came from the 80s. <laughs> the Shining is what came out when Steven Spielberg was a kid. So that's the movie that he wanted to talk about. In the book... A certain games are you are actually playing you're actually in an interactive movie acting out the movie mm-hmm. and the first um, the first game that uh, that Percival slash uh, Wade encounters is a simulation of war games the movie with Matthew Broderick and Ali Sheedy We're in. It thinks I'm Falcon. Hello. How can it ask you that? It'll ask you whatever it's programmed to ask you. You want to hear it talk? Yeah. I'll ask it how it feels. I'm fine. How are you? Excellent. It's been a long time. Can you explain the removal of your user account on June 23rd, 1973? They must have told that he died. People sometimes make mistakes. Yes, they do. How can I talk? It's not a real voice. Uh, this box just interprets signals from the computer and turns them into sound. Shall we play a game? Oh. <laughs> I think I missed him. Yeah, weird, isn't it? Yeah. Love to. How about global thermonuclear war? Wouldn't you prefer a good game of chess? <laughs> Later, let's play global thermonuclear war. Fine. <laughs> All right. So he has to go through and act out the entire movie, all dialogue and all. You get points deducted if you don't get the uh, the tone of voice correct. If you um, if you forget a line, if you forget a, a motion like an acting, uh, like a, like anything. If you don't nail it, it's like Guitar Hero. It's like playing a good song in Guitar Hero, except you're actually performing in this movie. And you have to act out the entire movie. And then he gets, I think he gets another key after he does that. I, I don't remember. But something mm-hmm. big happened when he, he, he progresses forward when he goes through war games and acts it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so in this movie, they did something where it was just like a bunch of shit from The Shining. It was like an amusement park. Oh, Fascinating. Um, another thing in the movie, um, 
and then I'll let you get back. I'm sorry. This is what's hmm. t- because they find out about the Shining because they're talking to that robot butler. Right. Oh, there's no robot butler. Yeah. In the fucking book. And he also <laughs> Wade gets the gets the quarter uh, from the robot butler. The rope because they they have a bet. They have a bet about a piece of information being in this in the database. So uh, the butler says, oh, you won the bet, so here's a quarter, and flips him a quarter. Yeah. That doesn't happen in the book. What happens in the book is that uh, there's a simulation of um, the, whole, the whole layout of the Oasis is pretty much – you ever hear of No Man's Sky, Jose? Mm-mm. What is that? No Man's Sky is a video game. It's this open-world video game. It came out like a year or two ago, maybe two years ago. And um, it was it promised that it was going to be this totally immersive, massive multiplayer game with all of these worlds and universes and stuff like that, all of these worlds and stuff. So basically, when you start the game, you base you you're given a planet, and you can do whatever you want with the planet. You can grow vegetation, do all this stuff. When you go out and explore, you get into a spaceship and you go out to explore, other users also have planets and worlds that they created. So it's almost like Facebook if it was a space simulation. Does that make any sense? Yeah, that sounds cool. That is what the Oasis is. That's how the Oasis is portrayed in the book. Everybody Uh has a planet and they do up that planet any way they want. And there are lots of other planets that represent different things. There's a Star Wars planet, say. There's a Back to the Future planet. Uh, there's uh, a Breakfast Club planet. You, you know, it, like a lot of like whatever people are interested in. It's not all '80s. It's just like a. The, it, not everybody in the in the year 2044 or something like that. Not everybody's into the 80s. Everybody's into it who is on the Oasis because they want to figure out what Halliday likes in order to Mm. win the Oasis. So people, there are people who are just into the 80s automatically who are acing this. And that's uh, that's Wade Watts. He was a big fan of 80s stuff. So... um, he, um, there is a simulation of the arcade that Halliday used to visit when he was a kid, and there is a Pac-Man machine in the corner, and uh, Wade plays the Pac-Man machine and gets the quarter from the Pac-Man machine. And you don't know, he's just like, what the fuck is this? I don't need this, but he puts it in his pocket anyway. So it's cool, you don't, so it's just like in, in the movie, they do, they, they that pays off the way it pays off in the movie the the mm-hmm. big the big bomb goes off everybody gets wiped out and right. then he has his extra life so that the, mm-hmm. that that happens in the book as well mm-hmm. um but uh <laughs> that's um there 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 are a couple of callbacks to the book that they do make but it's not in the right places but um continue mm-hmm. sir with your assessment of this uh, horror show. Yeah. yeah. Um, overall, I just didn't feel. I, I just don't feel that Spielberg was the right director for this. No, he wasn't. 
You know, I, I think someone from the eight, someone who really grew up from the eight, in the eighties, should have been the director of this. Yes, because he would have directed it with more conviction. I thought, you know, he would have been, you know, see, he would have made the right choices of what to keep from the book and, or yeah. what to make new. Yeah, you know, and uh, I, mean, oh, I don't know. Who do you, who do you think? Who do you think would have been the better director for this? I guess like uh, someone, you know, someone from our age group. Let's yeah. see who would who would be good. Um, see, I don't know. I Maybe like... the guy who directed Thor, uh, Thor Ragnarok, for example. Yeah. You know, I forgot his name. He's he's like a it's like a fresh new talent and he seems to have a good grasp of CGI and he's got like a good sense of humor. But there's something a little lifeless about this movie, I thought, and a little manipulative. Yeah. Um, but isn't that like what Spielberg is these days? Um, um, yeah, how did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> um, I was thinking Edgar Wright would have been perfect. Edgar, oh, okay, there you go. He That's a been really good choice, yes. Perfect for this movie. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, talk, and I don't lay, I mean... I ultimately lay the blame at Spielberg because he's the one that thought the script was good enough to put in front of the camera. But Zach Penn, I mean, I don't want to overlook what he did in just completely. Dude, you know there there are two moments in that book that from the trailer alone, I thought that they were going to add in this movie. Okay. Number one, um, the, the the early teaser when they show when they show Wade putting on the glasses and they go into the world and they play like the kind of pseudo Willy Wonka music. Yes. Um, and it's like you know Steven Spielberg presents, and uh, the next line was something like Ernest Cline's Holy Grail of pop culture that was indication number one for me that i thought holy shit they're gonna make the fucking book <laughs> now here's why i say that again spoilers if you've not read this book read this book if you want to read it um how you know when i was talking about um uh the war game simulation how they you know had to go through and play through war games in order to move on to the next level mm -hmm. one of the last challenges in the game in the simulation is the same type of simulation going through a movie the movie is monty python and the holy grail oh so he had to go through and act out every moment from monty python and the holy grail Oh, how neat. That's now, pretty funny. You know what I'm talking... You, you, you fucking understand what I'm saying! <laughs> oh my yeah. god! Oh, see, now I know why Spielberg changed it. He's got no connection to that. No, he doesn't. Know? He doesn't. Yeah. None of the things that are in this movie that matter to the people who are fans of the book yes. matter to him. Yes. Another thing... And this is... Uh, Another thing from the trailer is um, the song that they played at the end of the, the, the teaser trailer. 
they Which play song? Tom Sawyer, the Rush song. Oh, yeah, that's right. I was waiting for that song. <laughs> this is the thing. In the book, they reference Rush because um, Halliday loves Rush. He built a planet dedicated to Rush, specifically, <laughs> specifically the a song from the uh, twenty one twelve album. Uh-huh. They built a planet that was a replication of the Temple of Syrix, which is from the um the, when you when you first the first song you hear on twenty one twelve. It's a long. It's like thirteen, seventeen minutes long, and, and it's in three movements. I believe the f- second movement is called the Temple of Series. It's a song about the priests of the Temple of Syrix. Our, um, what is it? Our uh, great computers fill our hallowed halls. So, you know, he flies the ship to the planet where the Temple of Syrix is, gets out, goes into the temple, and the computers are in the hall. It's like, it's fucking, it's a Rush song. It's a living Rush song in this fucking book. And I was so convinced that the trailer was dropping hints that oh my god they're gonna put they're gonna put these things in the movie holy shit (laughs) and it was about there was about fifteen minutes left in the movie where I realized oh my god (laughs) (laughs) sorry folks it was the chase scene in the car when he was trying to grab the key and he couldn't grab it because the other cars were jostling the van oh god. Uh, <laughs> it, it was uh, it just turned into like the Keystone Cops oh wow these stupid chase scenes and these I mean uh-huh. he missed the point mm. he completely he focused more on the love story between Percival and Artemis where yeah. the real love story was between Halliday and his people and the nostalgia of the 80s. That's where the love mm-hmm. affair was. Artemis, H, and um, and Percival, and to a certain extent Sorrento in a, in a very um, superficial way, they were in love with 80s culture. That mm-hmm. book, the entire book, is a love letter to 80s culture. Mm-hmm. This is pop culture vomit. Oh, oh. It, 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 it's, it's a fucking waste. Uh, it, it, this, uh, is, this is a missed opportunity 
Oh. Beyond anything I've seen in a long time. <laughs> this is this is uh, I, I God, what the fuck, man? Star Wars: The Last Jedi sucked, and now yeah. this, now this, a Spielberg movie like this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just like uh, I would have to say, Star Wars: The Last Jedi, even though it turned out to be kind of an abomination, I. <laughs> I sincerely think its heart was in the right place. It just made the wrong decisions. Whereas there's no heart in this one at all, I feel. No. Um, and Even that's an interesting point you make about the book. You said it was like a, the book was a, a love letter, basically, to the 80s. Whereas this movie you just uses the 80s as kind of a vehicle for something else. Uh, the, a love story that that wasn't really convincing. It was know? boring, and, quite frankly. It was it was boring. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, it, and it was done better in Black Mirror. You know, the uh, San Juniper. Yes, San Junipero. Yes. Yeah, San, San Junipero. That yes. was a more interesting love story, yes. and I think they could have taking more chances with this i mean in the book uh, my question to you is like in the book with the the uh did did the uh real life artemis have uh like a birth defect on her face or yes and you don't meet those none of those characters meet each other until the end of the book Ah. in and Hmm. it happens in the middle of this movie that was when it really fell apart for me Mm. when the Guy with the tattoo on his face, not in the book, um, abducts Wade and then brings him in front of Artemis and and she's like, Welcome to the resistance. Like that was when that was it for me. That was just like, oh my god, they're they're doing something else. What the hell is this? Um, he meets H before he meets Artemis in in real life. And she does, uh, and um, it is like a thing. And you know what else happens in the book? Hmm. Ogden Morrow is involved in the story, but he um, he helps them at the end. You know who he reminds me of? Speaking Willy of Willy Wonka, almost. Oh, okay. Halliday, Halliday is more the Willy Wonka character. Oh. Ogden Morrow reminds me of Professor Falcon in War Games. Speaking of War Games. Oh, okay. Um, you know how his role was? His role wasn't to fix the problem, but it was to give Matthew Broderick what he needed to help him fix the problem. Mm-hmm. That's what Ogden Morrow was to um, Percival H. and Artemis. He comes in at the end. This is after um, Wade, um, the stacks gets blown up. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, when the... the Artemis gets arrested and she gets thrown into like that IOI prison or whatever. Right. That doesn't happen in the book. Uh, that's mm. Wade instead. Wade ends up adopting a new identity and becoming an employee of IOI after the mm. stacks gets blown up so that he could try to infiltrate and take down IOI from the inside. Mm-hmm. And, um,. There is a moment in the book um, that that they replicate in the movie, but it's not the same way it plays out. In the movie, do you remember when um, H 
and um, who are the two kids? Um, Daito and Shoto, the two mm-hmm. Japanese kids. Right. Um, they in the movie they um, they ride up on um, on Artemis out in the street, mm-hmm. and she opens the door and like Artemis H. Hey, Artie. Yeah, I know. Not what you were expecting, huh? Yeah. I wasn't expecting a late 30s model postal van. That's the dialogue between Percival and H when they meet in real life. Uh, and they are the, uh. and they meet each other first before um he doesn't meet um Artemis in real life literally until the very end of the book. Oh wow. And that's when the first time you see that she's got the birthmark on her face. They really downplay it in the movie, but it, it's really prevalent. Like you, it's it in the book they play it up like it's really obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think they do kiss at the end of the book, but it's mm-hmm. literally at the, the the last thing that happens. You don't you don't know about um, really anything that they're planning. You just know mm-hmm. that they now own the oasis, or he owns the oasis, and they're gonna do some stuff. That's all. That's how the book ends. Mm-hmm. Mm. But oh god, mm. I mean, but is it? Yeah, it's, it's, it sounds like they're emphasizing all the wrong things from the book for their own purposes. It's not really for like time purposes or anything. It's just that they wanted to tell a different story. Yeah. Did I... did, uh, did Ernest Klein? Do the screenplay for this one as well, or he's got screenplay credit, screenwriting credit. Okay. Um, I can't imagine. I don't know. I mean, I don't know the guy. I don't know. I mean, it just seems like Zach Penn and Steven Spielberg just are all over the changes because there's no re- there's no fucking reason to to make the changes that they made. There, there, there's no reason for it. Uh, there is a scene in the uh, book that they do translate in the movie and, again, completely missed the mark. The scene when Percival or Wade and Sorrento confront each other and Sorrento offers him a job at IOI. Right. And uh, in the book... Wade Watts instead says, you know, it says the same thing he says in the movie, like, actually, I want your job. And Sorrento in the book, he starts laying out uh, figures to him, like $2 million a year, $5 million a year, $10 million a year. I, I've, mm-hmm. been, I've been authorized by the board to offer you whatever you want. So that's when Wade Watts says, I want your job. Mm-hmm. The board is, I think, listening in on the conversation, and he says, okay. And then Sorrento turns around, calls the board, Talks to them on the phone, hangs up the phone, and says, "Job is yours. I'm going to step down." He is like, "From this moment forward, you are in charge." Wow. And um, and that's when Wade laughs and says, "Ah, you're such an asshole. Do you really think I want your job? I don't want anything to do with you or you people." It was a far more intense scene in the book than what played out in the movie. Mm-hmm. It just seemed like it. Yeah, I mean, you're right. There, There is no... He has no passion for this material, Steven Spielberg. It, it, mm. it, he probably liked the concept, 
more than he liked the actual story or what the key moments in the story meant to people who enjoy the book. Do you like the uh, the Shining sequence? <laughs> um, no. Yeah. Okay. No. All that CG, all that. I mean, I, I, it was cute because they were able to digitally replicate sets, the bathroom, the hallway, mm-hmm. the blood and shit. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just. I mean, look. I, you're supposed to you're not supposed to watch a movie expect you know you're supposed to watch a movie and take it for what it is and not what you were hoping it would be right so and i i really i really was trying to do that because i was expecting number one that they were going to do the rush and the the monty python thing at the end of this movie and um and you know number two because you know I look, I like The Shining. I like Stanley Kubrick. But even hmm. with that sequence, he completely missed the mark. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just a caricature. It was just kind of stupid. Mm, okay. Yeah. What did you think of it? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was neat. You know, I, I think... I think this movie really hinges a lot on nostalgia. Um, If you know nothing about the 80s at all, this movie would be completely inert. You know, there's no reason, there's pretty much no reason to be watching this. I kind of, I kind of, that may be like, that might be my only favorite scene. Probably the shining scene Mm. from a technical standpoint because it was fun, you know. Other than that, there's like this movie does nothing for me. I hated um, the Zemeckis cube bit. This Zeme- <laughs> fucking stupid Zemeckis cube. I mean, yeah. and he swore that was one of the things that Spielberg swore when he first got this movie. When they first found out he was going to make this movie, was I'm not referencing any of my movies. There will be no mention of anything that I have. So yeah, okay, fine. You're not gonna do any of the movies, even though they mention Raiders of the Lost Ark and Jaws and if you, and you. Oh no, I'm gonna take the high road and not be self-referential. Oh, you totally should have done that. Oh, that's another question I want to ask you. Was there a Star Wars reference in there in in the book? Hmm. I don't there... remember. I don't remember any Star Wars references from the book. Okay. Um, I remember, you know, they talked about John Hughes a lot. Um, they talked about um, it, it. Oh, um, like a Zork. There's, there's a moment. Remember Zork, the the text based video game. <laughs> Vaguely. Yeah. There's Vaguely. a there's a scene with Zork in there. <laughs> there's Blade Runner references in it. Dungeons and Dragons. Mm. Like stuff like it's more nerd culture eighties than pop culture eighties. Does that make uh-huh. sense? Yeah, that would have been more interesting. Yeah. This is more. It's just too mainstream eighties, and it's a little boring. And you know, the most cliched moment in the movie came when during the fight scene at the end, they played "We're Not Gonna Take It" by Twisted Sister. Oh God! <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't go with the VC Boys or something like that. <laughs> 
thank goodness they didn't use that. But yeah, fucking Twisted Sister, come on. <laughs> oh my god. That oh, does man. happen in the book, too. They do put a shield around um, one of the last places where one of the last clues is. And and um, Percival's able to rally everybody in the Oasis to come and attack the shield. That that does happen in the book. I hate the way that he showed this playing out in the real world. I hate it, like seeing people running through the street in their vehicle. Uh, that was so fucking yeah. stupid. I, it's, it's, <laughs> like, where are they running to? Why are they not running into traffic? I mean, it's just so dumb. It's, yeah, I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, even yeah. in even though it's a fantasy, it's it's just so stupid. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know if I can do Spielberg anymore. I haven't seen the post uh, yet. I'm kind of curious about the post. Yeah. Um, but maybe that's maybe that's the extent of his talent these days. You can do quiet drama and not big <laughs> budget action. Uh, yeah, because he's just just so out of touch. Yep. You know. Yep. Yeah, it's like his his big budget sci-fi stuff. I think it's. It's time to get that arrest, Stephen. Minority Report was the last one. Yeah, and that's okay. Minority, and that's okay. Minority Report is, is outstanding. It's a, it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. Good. It, it it is what a it, it what a science fiction film would look like if Alfred Hitchcock directed it. Uh, it it that for sure it is. Mm-hmm. But oh Christ, uh, this movie is. Ready Player One, what, on a scale of one to ten, sir, what do you what do you give this movie? <laughs> well, since I think this is like uh, middle of the road Spielberg, I'm gonna give this a hard five. Mm. Yeah, mm. that's about right. How about you? Mm. Uh, um, that's a, that's gonna be a three for me, sir. Oh. <laughs> That yeah. hurts. This is gonna be a three. <laughs> I will say that the actors portraying the the characters in the book, um, I'm happy with how they're portray how they look. Okay. Um, I kind of saw Ogden Morrow as Jeff Daniels. Uh-huh. I lo- I mean, again, I, I talk about a missed opportunity. You have him come in at the very end as kind of like a hey, guess who I was. It's that, that was so so unfair um, to how his how he was portrayed in the book uh, at the end. He he is such a he is such a good character, you know. And there's a richness and a depth and a complexity in the characters in the book that is again just completely skipped. In, uh, now, and I'll say this too as far as the love story is concerned in this movie. Percival has admired Artemis from afar and he did kind of develop feelings for her and is and does profess love for her. But the two of them, especially her, uh, it, 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 this is all about, I mean, they, they are, they're gunters. That All they care about is finding the holiday Easter egg. Um, how they play it out in the movie is that they have people, they have, um, you, 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 you get to the end of adventure 
uh, the, the Atari 2600 game, you get to the end of Adventure and you find the credit in the, uh, the, the, the programmer that credited himself in the, in the game. It's the first time, uh, and that is true, it's a true story. It's the first time a credit of, of a video game designer ever appeared in the game. Not in the book, number one. Um, and number two, the moral of the story is not, um, Easter eggs are magical. It's, it's, <laughs> oh, fucking, oh, God, oh, oh, the end of that movie where he's holding, it is like this, what's glowing in his hand in the real oh. world? What's yeah, glowing in his hand? The machine. Oh, the you mean the the suit that he's wearing the whole time has light? Has they had the diodes like lights in them, LED lights or something <laughs> that emulated an egg when you found it? Oh God! Oh Jose! Oh my God, dude! Dude! Oh! This is one of the most disappointing movies I have ever seen. It was, this was such a monumental disappointment. Yeah. I'll never forget this, Steven Spielberg. I will never forget this. The, day, uh, the, the movie that broke me. Yeah. The movie it's, that got, it, it's got cute moments. I'll give it that. But, um, yeah. What which which moments were those? I can't even. Uh, the uh, the shining moment. I kind of like. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I've got a weakness for that. I thought I thought that yes. was well executed. I did um... think of you. I thought of you as well. <laughs> and there was a Kubrick reference in this movie. I'm like, oh, well, two people in the world will enjoy this. <laughs> Me and Steven yeah. Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, no Jose. Steven made a joke for you. Are you happy? Made for a little me? Scene. Yeah, just for you. Are you happy? All right, All right kids. Um, I am. I feel purged. I I do feel cleansed, and and um, I I feel like I got a lot off of my chest. I know that I was. Um, I'm not. I'm not. Look, you know. When you, I mean. I, when you anticipate something like this, and especially when you have a connection to the source material, you know you don't want to be disappointed. Yeah. Uh, what are you What are you gonna do? Um, you know, Steven Spielberg is uh, someone that you know grew up with this guy. We grew up with this. We grew up watching this guy's movies, and he probably informed a lot of you know what we like and what we don't like about certain types of movies. Mr. Zulueta, that's uh, that's it, I guess, huh? Yeah, Ready Player One, <laughs> not so ready. And not playing with this one either. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're not gonna watch uh, Ready Player Two. No, I will. No. Read, he is working on a sequel to the book, so I. Will, oh, good God! I will, well, I the will book read... is, you said is good, right? Yes, so. the, the book is great. The book is fun and it's cool. And again, they have it on. Uh, will Wheaton reads the book on tape, which I haven't read. You can get it from Audible. Uh, which I haven't listened to. I mean, I'm thinking about going back and cleansing myself with the audiobook. Um, it, it, to to really go back into this world and enjoy it and have fun with it because this this story is a lot of fun and the the only way, in my opinion, to enjoy it is um, is through the book. Wow! So pick it up, please do. 
All right. That's it yes. for tonight, ladies and gentlemen, on the Cinepod MovieCast. I am Chuck Conyers. I am Jose Joel And Mr. Spielberg, please just stop. For the love of God. <laughs> when lights are on the table, we dance where we're able. We do routines to call the scenes with footwork in bed cable. We dine well here in Camelot. We eat ham and jam and spam art. Camelot. Well, on second thoughts, let's not go to Camelot. It is a silly place. Right. All right.